I've seen many of you waving your things because it's hot in here. We did turn that down, so that should um, help you not be so distracted here in just a few minutes as soon as that cools off a little bit. So um, let's take our Bibles. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2, and let's stand together. We are on our fourth now of our series of By Faith as we look toward this initiative that we're uh, partnering together to accomplish and Indeed, it is something by faith, and this morning we're going to be looking at by faith we grow. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. It may be a, a familiar passage of Scripture uh, to you. If it's not a familiar passage of Scripture, I look forward to you hearing that, at least preach for the first time, even if you have read it. It's a wonderful um, short passage that has lots of encouragement for the life of the church. Uh, This is the word of the Lord, Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the, uh, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Our God in heaven, indeed, this is your word, and we would ask now that you would meet it with your spirit in our hearts. Mold us and make us into the men and women and children that you've called us to be. Lord, would you soften our hearts that we might receive your word? Would you bend our wills that we we might obey your word? Would you enlighten our minds that we might understand your word? For we are dependent upon you and your spirit. Work in us this day. Exalt your own name. Exalt the name of the living Christ, we ask. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Please be seated. If I were to use the term church growth, a number of things would probably come to your minds, even as they do to my own. And if I were to use that term church growth or that phrase church growth, a number of those things might actually be negative because we associate a lot of different things with quote unquote church growth. However, if I were to use a little bit different phrase and say something like this, the growing church then a number of different things might come to our mind, and we might receive that even a little bit better. Most of those things might even be positive. Because what believer in the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't want the church to be growing and to be maturing? And yet, the question becomes, doesn't it? What really is or what do we mean by church growth? What do we mean by the growing church? How do, how, do, how do we even go about that? Or is it even something that we do go about? Uh, R.C. Sproul, he had written, he said, by presenting a God who wants us to look at ourselves, who doesn't judge and command, 
who has a wonderful set of insights on how to have a happy, healthy marriage, we put God's imprimatur on narcissism. There's nothing evangelicals like more than to be told that God loves them just the way they are. And isn't that true? And yet, this isn't what the Scripture teaches us about church growth, and nor is it even what the Scripture teaches us about the message of the church. And we have the privilege this morning of studying and getting a glimpse of the first days of the, instant new, of the infant New Testament church. And we'll see what they did. We'll see who they were because of the work of the Spirit of Christ within them. And, and this passage here, Acts is, in fact, but particularly this passage, as we're coming to it this morning, is given to us as a model for us. I think a lot of times we tend to think that that early church was the perfect church, and it wasn't. We see that in only a few chapters later, if we were to continue to read, it wasn't the perfect church. And yet, yet it is and does serve as a model for us in several important areas. And I want us to look at just two of those areas this morning together as we consider by faith we grow. I want us to see two simple things, as we gather first, and secondly, as we grow so let's look first at as we get, gather. And notice with me, even as we just this short passage, this short passage of Scripture, but the very first thing that, that is mentioned about these early believers is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And it wasn't some general teaching of the apostles. It was a, it was a teaching that had a, a definite subject. The subject matter was, was clear. And what was that subject matter? Well, we'll get to that in just a moment because it's even clear to us. C.H. Dodd, he was a, a New Testament scholar. He died back in uh, 1973. But, but he points out that as we look at the apostles' teaching in the New Testament, that four themes always rise to the surface of what their teaching uh, consisted of. One, it consisted of Jesus, crucified and risen to life, that he is the Messiah and the Savior who had been promised in the Scriptures. That's the first thing. Secondly, that Jesus, this Messiah, is he's the one that bestows the blessings of the kingdom of God. And third, Jesus the Messiah, he will come to judge and to deliver his people. And then fourth, people must repent of their sin and trust in the name of Jesus Christ for their salvation. Those four themes are themes of apostolic teaching. The Apostle Paul, as an example, when he went to Antioch and Pisidia in Acts chapter 13, he gave a message to who he termed the men of Israel and those who feared God. And in that message, he starts all the way back with God uh, choosing their fathers and then taking them through Egypt into the wilderness, through the wilderness to God, giving them their land and then to their kings, to David, and then from David to David's greater son to the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised Savior. And then from there to repentance, 
to the crucifixion, to the resurrection. And in the middle of all of that, I mean, notice the, notice the, 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 the breadth of that teaching. And in the middle of all that, Paul says, he says, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God to us has been sent the message of salvation. And then near the end in verse 32, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm. What is, what is the teaching of the apostles? It is the message of salvation. It's the grand and great story of redemption. It is the good news. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what these early believers devoted themselves to, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in this way, this is a wonderful biblical pattern for us to follow as a church in this world. And, and their understanding of the gospel or their, their preaching and teaching of the gospel, it, it wasn't just a narrow understanding of it either. It wasn't just that they took one little bit of it and they only did that, no, it was, it was all of it, from promise all the way to fulfillment. In other words, Jesus sprung from every page of the Scriptures. And that's why one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons why we at Trinity Grace Church, it's why we emphasize some of those Old Testament promises, the promise to Abraham, the promises to our fathers, because it's all part, it's all part of this message of salvation, and to leave it out would be to miss the, the whole counsel of God. It would be to miss the beauty of God's work of redemption. Because that story of redemption doesn't begin in Matthew. That story of redemption begins in Genesis. And it goes all the way through to the book of Revelation. So we in the church today are to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to apostolic teaching because there is, there is truth. There is truth and there is a truth that is passed down to the saints. Yes, we're, we're called to be Bereans and we are called to, to search the scriptures to make sure that these things are so. I would encourage you to do so. That's the encouragement of the word of God itself. But that doesn't mean that there's not a truth that is to be passed down to the saints. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that it each has its own truth to me and to you and to another. No, there is a truth. This body of faith that's passed down to the saints. We don't gather on Sundays in worship to have a dialogue about what we think about the scriptures. We don't gather in worship on Sundays for a conversation simply between men. We don't gather in worship to tell one another what the scripture means to me and what it means to you. No, we gather, we gather in worship on Sundays to hear the word of God proclaimed and preached. Thus saith the Lord is why we gather on Sundays. We gather for a conversation, but it's not the conversation that we often think it is. We gather for a conversation where God speaks and we respond. God speaks and we respond. And our culture doesn't like that, and sometimes our own flesh doesn't like that. 
We, we don't like to come to a place where we are told, thus saith the Lord, at least our flesh doesn't. But it shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us that our flesh is bothered, bothered by that. It shouldn't surprise us that our culture is bothered by that. And in the church today, so too, too often, in the broad church, we've allowed the culture around us to guide us, to direct us, and to even lead our churches rather than the Word of God. And rather than allowing Christ through the church, then to have an impact within the life of the world around us and, and the culture, we've, we've invited the culture to be part of the church thinking, thinking that that's what's going to make a difference in the culture. And not only have we invited them to be part of the church, but sometimes, sometimes in the broader church, we've, we've even invited them to teach us how to do church. We've invited experts out there. How do we reach the world? When God has told us how to reach the world in his word. And friends, that, that mindset isn't changed by changing the way we do church, but it's changed by God changing the heart of the church, by him changing the hearts of, of those who make up the church. We do need to be reforming. That was one of the battle cries of the, of the Reformation, always reforming. And we too need to be always reforming. But what are we reforming to? I mean, taking the taking the advice of the culture and the world into the life of the church is not reforming because to reform is to reform in accord with the word of God. We don't need new ways to attract people. What we need is to be faithful to the simple means that God has given to us. That's what the church needs. And it seems pretty simple, doesn't it? It is, but it's also profound. And it's also what God's given to us in his word. These early believers, they devoted themselves to apostolic teaching. Why? Because it was the message of salvation. Because it was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what sinners need. That's what we all need, whether we belong to the Lord or whether we don't yet. But we all need the gospel of the Lord Jesus. But these early believers also devoted themselves to fellowship. Uh, we see that in our reading. We, and we use that word often, don't we? In fact, we even call our dinners when we gather together out in the foyer, we call them fellowship dinners. But what does fellowship mean? Well, how does Luke use it here? Well, the, the fellowship that Luke is speaking of is, is often costly and deep. In fact, the term that he uses, you may be familiar with it, particularly because some churches name their churches this, koinonia fellowship. Well, koinonia is just a Greek word that means fellowship. But we get a better understanding of what Luke really means by that when we read further down in our text to verses 44 and 45, where it says, And all who believed were together, had all things in common. And they were selling possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. When we want to think about fellowship, this is true Christian fellowship, putting beliefs into actions, putting beliefs into deeds, not just saying we believe this, not just saying, oh, this would be nice to live in this way, but to actually put them into action. The gospel of Jesus Christ had so penetrated 
their lives. The work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts had so changed them that they begin to sell what they have so that others may have what they do not have. That's a radical change, isn't it? This was their response to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. This was their response to having been changed by the Spirit of Christ. And we can pause here, I think, and should pause here for just a moment and let that sink in. Sink in. The work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts had changed them so much that it led to immediate action. Often we read this, I think, and we want to go right to the point of clarifying something. We want to go right to the point of clarifying that this doesn't mean that Christians are to live in some sort of socialist type of Christian commune. And it doesn't, but that's usually the first thing that we go to. Why do we go there so quickly? Because I don't think we want to let the reality of this passage sink into our own hearts. That's why. Is this how the gospel affects us? Does the gospel work itself out in our lives and in our hearts in this way? That it's touched us that we respond in giving to those that do not have. That's a simple way to look. And for some of you, I know it has because I've seen it. We've seen it in our midst. And it's beautiful and precious in the sight of God. For some of us, we need to hear this part. For some of us, we need to let it sink in that we might be convicted if we're putting our hope and our trust in our material possessions rather than in Christ. And maybe some do need to hear. This wasn't a requirement. Notice that. It wasn't a requirement. In fact, Peter, if we were to go to Acts chapter 5, Peter asked Ananias at the, about his own property. And, and it's a, um, something takes place there where where Ananias and Sapphira had not given what was theirs, but they had hid it, acting as if they didn't have it and wouldn't give of it. And it's not that they didn't give, it's that they deceived about their giving, by the way. But Peter asked Ananias, he says, Ananias, could it have not had remained in your possession? Notice what he's communicating. Hey, it was yours. It was, it was your property. There's no forced sharing here. It's not taking from those who have in order to give to those who have not. This is not an obligatory issue, but it was the response of the move of the Spirit of Christ. That's what it was. That's what it was here. This was the response to the Holy Spirit's work in their hearts They weren't forced to give, but they gave freely, freely. And this was a result of their trust in Christ, not only for their salvation, but with their material possessions as well. This was an outward expression of their belief and their trust in the Lord Jesus. And isn't that interesting? It's almost backward the way that I said that. Let me say that again. This was a result of their trust in Christ, not only for their salvation, but with their material possessions as well. Notice what we do there. And I think we do that here in the United States. Because the way that we think of these things is, 
They trusted Jesus for their salvation, but oh my goodness, they must have really loved him because they shared even their possessions. Doesn't that show the importance of our possessions? That actually what we think, the things that we think are ultimate are the things of this world rather than eternal life. That's a sad state, isn't it? Do we trust Christ with those things? I've heard from several of you over the past several weeks during our By Faith initiative that your hearts have been convicted. And I don't mean, and they didn't mean either, that it was just about giving to a building. Put that to the side. I'm talking about a genuine heart work done by the Spirit of Christ. Amen to that. Amen to that. What a wonderful thing. And I wonder, too, when we think about fellowship, because that's part of that fellowship and that, that, costy, that costly fellowship often. Do we enjoy fellowship, that true fellowship with the body of Christ? For us, is it more than just a meal, more than just a visit? But do we have those hearts that are willing to give of what we have so that others might have? And some of us do, and some of us need to work on that. Some of us do, and some of us need to repent. Some of us need to be stretched. But the early church, the Lord was at work such that they shared freely among themselves. And not only only did they enjoy fellowship together, but they also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And this is part of fellowship as well. This isn't simply eating meals together, but I think this is particularly talking about the sharing of the Lord's Supper together. Now, they do speak down in verse 46, it speaks also of eating meals together in each other's homes. And these things are, are, are often closely related. But I'm not talking about going into homes and just, and just having uh, supper together or whatever, but we're talking about the Lord's Supper. Although in the early church, they would often do that. They would go and they would have their meals together and then they would, then they would celebrate the Lord's Supper after that. But, we, but here, specifically, It's speaking of the breaking of the bread. The article is present. The breaking of the bread. um, And and it seems to be speaking then of the Lord's Supper. And and think about This is right after. This is right after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This was of utmost importance to them. And it should be to us as well. A celebration of the Lord's Supper. When we gather for the Lord's Supper, we, we come together to feed upon Christ we come together to be nourished in our walk with him. We, we do. We come together to, be, uh, uh, to remember what Christ has done for us. We come together to be reminded of our covenant privileges and our responsibilities. We come together to anticipate his return. But when we come to the Lord's Supper, we're actually receiving something from him. This is a means of grace that God's given to us. So when we come to the Lord's table in just a few minutes, let's remember that. And I usually remind us that even as I fence the table But remind ourselves that we're not coming to give to him. We're coming here because he's given to us freely. Freely he's given to us. When Paul teaches about the the Lord's Supper, he uses the same term that Luke uses here. This same term, this koinonia, this fellowship, that deep and costly fellowship. This is a fellowship in the blood of Christ. It's a bond and pledge 
of the believer's fellowship with Jesus and with other members of his body. This is a wonderful thing. And it's not to be taken alone. Maybe you come from a different background where we might do some things a little bit differently here at Trinity Grace Church. We believe that this is a family meal. It's not something for you to go off on your own and take by yourself in a closet or whatever time you see fit. It is communion with Christ and with his body that we enjoy it together. It is our Lord, the one with whom we have fellowship, the one whom we remember. It's he who's the one that offers the cup, the one who invites us to the table. The Lord's Supper is a visual representation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his blood poured out and his body given for you and for me. Its focus is on the death of Christ and his presence among the people through the Holy Spirit. And what a wonderful thing that is. I love that we do it every week. Because even if I were to fail to give this message of salvation on a Sunday morning, when we come to this table at the end of the service, we're brought right to that table. That story is brought to us visually. The body of Jesus given for you, the blood of Jesus shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. And I am, um, as I get older, I hope more mature in my faith and my walk with Christ, as well as in ministry and preaching, I am reminded almost every Sunday that I don't don't know everybody to whom I'm preaching. I mean, I know the people of Trinity Grace Church, but there may be people in here that need to be reminded of that again. I need to be reminded of that. But there may be people in here who, who, who the Lord hadn't grabbed hold of yet that they've not fallen to their knees and asked for the forgiveness of sin. Maybe that are carrying bondage, that have been carrying this, this baggage on their back of their sin and it is weighting them down. And maybe you need to hear the message of salvation that Jesus Christ died for sinners like you and like me. And brothers and sisters, even if you've heard it a hundred times, may today, may you walk out that door Praising God that your sin has been forgiven. Your sin's been forgiven in Christ Jesus. Finally, they devoted themselves to prayer. Um, In our vision of the church, written a long, long time ago, it states, we desire to be a church noted for her dependence upon God. Even in our By Faith initiative that we're, that we're participating in right now, that's why it's called By Faith, because we must trust in the Lord. We're dependent upon the Lord. The early church understood and acknowledged that it's God who does all these things. It was he who created the world and he who upholds and governs all things. So who else is there to turn to but to him? One of my kids said to me this week, said, with all that's going on in life, because I asked him, I, I said, are, are you trusting the Lord? Are you okay? And he said, with all this going on in my life right now, I don't know where else to turn. That's the only place I know how to, know where to turn. But isn't that a great place to be? To know that you can turn to the Lord and trust him. It's almost like the disciples who come to the Lord Jesus and he's teaching something difficult. And he turns to the disciples and said, are you going to leave me too? Because all these other people left and they go what? They said, where else are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And it's almost like I've, I've tried everything else, Lord, and it didn't work. But now I've come to you, and I'm going to trust you. But guess what? God never fails. What, what an encouragement to his people. 
The Lord never fails. He's always faithful. We can trust him. We can trust him. Matthew Henry says, for prayer will always, or put on my glasses so I can see what he said. For prayer will never be superseded till it comes to be swallowed up in everlasting praise. We have every reason to pray. Living this side of glory. We, and, and we have every reason because of God's grace to be confident in our prayer. And our prayers, yes, they're a form of praise as we, as we praise him for who he is and what he's done. It's a form of praise even as we admit our own frailty and our dependence upon him. But as long as we're here struggling under the curse of the fall, there will always be need for petition. Always be need. Always be need for, please God, help. Because we're in need of our sovereign God. It's he who acts. It's he who saves. It's he who builds his church. It's he who protects. It's he who gives strength. It's, he's who, it's he who gives boldness to share the gospel of Jesus to a lost and dying world. Healthy churches are praying churches. Let me say that again. Healthy churches are praying churches, not just individually, but corporately. Healthy churches pray as a body. That's one of the reasons why we pray so much in the worship service. A lot of kids often tell me, um, when they're thinking about the worship service, like, oh, you mean the really long prayer? Say, <laughs> so, yeah, the really long prayer, that one right before the sermon. The pastoral prayer, that really long one. And, and kids, y'all consider yourselves blessed because I used to do that one all the time. And I was really long. These are much shorter. These are much shorter. Those really long prayers, we have really long prayers. Why? Because we're dependent upon the Lord. How is your prayer life? It's often said that if you want to embarrass a Christian, ask him or her about his, prayer, his or her prayer life. I wonder, would we be embarrassed if we were asked that question? I mean, I know that there are times in our lives, and I know it because it is for me too, that there are times in our lives when our prayer life seems to consist of what Derek Thomas used to call arrow prayers. I've told you that before, and I've told you that before. I know I have because sometimes that's what my prayer looks like. We're walking around life. We've got a quiver on our back, and we reach back there, and we pull one out, and we shoot it up, and we say, please, God, help. Sometimes that's the best we can do. But guess what? In God's grace, even those are heard and received. Isn't that wonderful? That as a child of God, it doesn't have to be that it's just at night where I get on my knees or I get beside my bed or I gather the family and it's, and it's reverent and it's proper and it's thought out. and No, it can be as a child to a dad, please help. And he hears us and he answers. That's the love of God for his people, isn't it? To love of God for his people. Depend upon the Lord, brothers and sisters. Call out to the creator who stands willing and able to help. This was the life of the early church. And now, not only as we get gathered, but how about as we grow? And I'll, I'll try to do this pretty quickly. We're almost out of time. But look with me to verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. We somehow think in our day today that if we can only change the way we do church to look more like the church or the culture around us to do things like it does things, then maybe we can make ourselves more attractive to the world. And if we do that, then we'll grow. Dear friends, the church grew here in Acts. 
And the church grows properly today, not because it's like the culture around it, but precisely because it's different than the culture around us. It has something to offer that the culture cannot offer. In fact, it has something to offer that the culture hates. And it's the gift of life through the forgiveness of sin. So many will say, you know, well, this certain type of worship or this type of worship, it's foreign to those who we're trying to reach. We've got to change. The worship of the true God is going to be foreign to those who do not know him. That shouldn't surprise us. Why change worship to meet the desires and standards of those who cannot worship rightly? That's what we're often tempted to do, though, aren't we? But when we do that, those very differences that draw people in are gone. We've abandoned the word of God. And notice here, having favor with all the people. This isn't just those within the church. I think this is all those outside the church as well. They had favor with people because they were different. They were the aroma of Christ. This is what the church is to be. And you may be already saying, well, wait a minute. The church didn't always have favor with the people. You're right. Hold on. Bear with me. We'll get there. Because to some, it is the aroma of life. And to some, the aroma of death. To death. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But God calls the church to be both a city on a hill as well as a light within the world. We are to be different. When people look at the church and see how we love one another, see how we communicate with one another, see how we deal with differences with one another, they ought to say, these people are different. There's something different about these people. It's not that we're not sinners, because we are. It's not that we're not hypocrites, because oftentimes we are but we've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and we seek to exercise the love of Christ to those around us, whether it's within or whether it's without. And it's not only the love of Christ, but it's also the truth of Christ, the righteousness of Christ. We don't get to define what the love of Christ is. He has defined that for us. There is truth and believers are to proclaim that truth in love and boldly. Do we enjoy favor with the people? Not because we don't hold firmly to the truth, but because you do and that you do that in love. That's the thing, isn't it? And, and I've, I've said this years and years ago, but every time I come to this scripture text, I can't help but to think of the ministry that my older brother had in my life when I was young. And he was a kid just like I was. He did foolish things just like I did, but I never knew him. And I'm sure he probably did, but I never knew him to compromise his faith to get others to like him. And yet, others loved him. Whether they were believers or unbelievers, whether they were the pure or the wretched, they loved him. I wonder that about us, both as a church as well as individually. Are we ministering to those within and without in such a way that we are the aroma of Christ? I mean, think about Christ and his ministry. As much as, and yes, Christ, they ended up killing him, right? There were many who hated him. But all throughout the scripture still, we read, and everywhere he goes, there were what around him? Crowds. Crowds followed him. Everywhere we find him, the crowds followed him. People wanted to be around him because he was different. Because notice too, often when he opened his mouth to speak the truth, many did leave. You're right. Many left him. And in fact, eventually they killed him. Eventually they killed him. 
But you see, that part, that part is not in our control. How do these things work together? Having favor with people and that some will hate you. We're to live in such a way that indeed we have favor with all the people. We are to speak the truth and do so in love and boldly. And the response to that is in the Lord's hands. Let's let him deal with that. But the way we live is is to that end. And to some, you may be the aroma of life. And to some, you may be the aroma of death to death. But that's up to the Lord. Our responsibility is to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, sharing the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility. And then finally, notice the last part of our text. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me me say that part again because I think that's important. The Lord added to their number. That too is God's business, isn't it? We are to be and we are to do as the church, as God has instructed, but building his church is his work. It's his work. And that should really be encouraging to us. We can come and worship together without having the burden of thinking that we've got to build the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have to somehow arrange what we do here to please others. No, We gather here not to please others. We gather here to please Christ. We gather here to please and to praise the name of the living God. And we don't build his church. He does it. Let that sink in. But now hear this next statement. But we should have every desire to see him do it. Oh, God, may your churches be full. That should be our prayer. Grow the church. We should have every desire to see him build it, to see the kingdom of God advance. Not not just out there, but, but even here. To see God Advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to desire the church to grow, that God's name might be exalted, that he might be glorified, that others might know the gospel of the Lord Jesus, that others might even experience and uh, the fellowship that we experience in Christ Jesus here at Trinity Grace Church. That ought to be a desire for us, that others would have that privilege. And brothers and sisters, God is doing that, and he has been doing that. He's doing that in our midst. Some of you will remember the movie. It's kind of old. Um, It was with Kevin Costner. It's called The Field of Dreams. Remember that movie? It's not a very theologically sound movie. Don't get me wrong. But there's one line in that movie. There's a phrase where Kevin Costner's character is is told, you build it and they will come. Many churches try to use that method of church growth. Build it, and they'll come. That's not what we're doing at Trinity Grace Church. We're building because God has brought them. We're expanding because God has shown his favor on us. He's bringing people to Trinity Grace Church. He's growing us, not because we've got nifty marketing, 
not because we're offering something flashy, but because God is doing so as we are striving to be faithful to his word. Simple again, right? So may God continue to strengthen us to be faithful, to worship him rightly, and may we trust him to provide even as we trust in his provision in that ultimate sense that he is our savior, that he's forgiven us of our sin and we stand right before him. And when that day comes, we will have no fear because of our advocate, Christ Jesus. You would think that that would be the most important ultimate thing. And it is. Can't we trust him with those other things? May we also trust him to provide as he continues to bless us because he has. And even as he's blessed us, may we desire that others receive that same blessing. And where is that blessing found? It's found only in Christ Jesus. That's what's offered here that the world cannot offer and that sadly, Tragically, even some churches don't offer because it's Jesus Christ, the Word of God. Let's pray together, shall we? Our God in heaven, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus in whom we stand. We thank you for the privileges and the blessings that we have here at Trinity Grace Church. May it be, may it be that we have hearts that others get to experience that same blessing Give us hearts that long after you. Give us hearts that want to hear your word. Give us hearts that, that desire true fellowship. Give us hearts that, as we come to the Lord's table, that we are reminded of that which you have done for us. And Lord, as we've gathered this morning, would you also, after we're all done here, send us forth into the world that we might indeed be both, yes, a city on a hill, but also a light to the world. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.